Hello team and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. It's Fab here, your head teacher. And today, I wanted to share a common complaint with you. Something right before we start with today's show. In fact, so many marketers these days complain on how complex, time-consuming and expensive digital advertising has become. And I bet this is something quite familiar to you as well. Well, guess what? Our friends at Feed make it effortless to run Facebook and Instagram ads that grow your audience and business online. You can wave goodbye to hours wasted in ads managers. Their algorithm has a unique focus on promoting organic content, figuring out which posts work best and amplifying your natural authentic voice to get the best results on social media. So whether you're after more Instagram followers, trying to grow a mailing list or selling products on your online store, Feed will use the best of your organic content to get you there. Plus, you simply connect Feed to Facebook and Instagram, set an objective and budget, and Feed takes care of the rest. As a very, very special gift, our podcast listeners get 30% off for the first three months. All you have to do is head to tryfeed.co slash AMS to sign up and claim the offer. Make sure that you go and check it out. And in the meantime, enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Alt Marketing School. We are proudly bringing together a new wave of marketers, just like yourself. We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello team, and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. It's Fab here again, and today I'm with the lovely Caitlin Burgoyne. And I've been following Caitlin for a while, so I'm really excited actually to go from Twitter chats into an actual podcast chat. And I already warned that I have a lot of questions, so we'll see how much of my brain I can dump on her. But before I say hi, I wanted to introduce her to yourself in case you don't know her. She's a four-time founder turned growth strategist and trainer. What I love about her as well is that she understands the challenges business leaders face because she's been there herself. And actually, she has loads of operational experience spanning the marketing, tech, and hospitality sectors. Caitlin has been named as an influential entrepreneur by Forbes magazine himself, also featured in Inc., HuffPost, Global TV, and so many more. She's recognized as one of the top 20 wonder women of SaaS marketing and growth by SaaS Talk. Today, Caitlin helps frustrated founders, marketers, salespeople to focus on what really matters, their customers. After all, whoever gets closer to the customer wins. Hello again. Hi. It's always weird hearing your own bio. <laughs> it's kind of nice. You kind of get like, mm, yeah, it's me. I hung myself up. How are you doing, Caitlin? How, how are we feeling today? Feeling good. I got to sleep in this morning for the first time in a long time. So that was work. That was awesome because my coffee machine also broke. So it was like broken coffee machine, but I got extra sleep. So I'm kind of like just at the same level. Oh, bless you. I- I'm impressed. I genuinely cannot function without my one or two coffees. Like in the morning, I'm bad. I put my hand up and say I'm bad, but 
again, today I was so excited about all the things we could talk about that it kind of like gave me the energy to keep going until this afternoon. So thank you so much for being mm -hmm. here again. When we kick off, what we like to do is actually get to know you a bit better. So I have three quick questions before we jump in and talk everything customers, everything psychology, my favorite things. And the first one would be, what would be a trivia category you would be really good at and why? Sadly, probably the only one that I feel like I'd be really good at would be something to do with marketing. Like, it feels like I like hear a marketing thing and I just like, it's burned into my memory and I know nothing about almost anything else. <laughs> like I have the worst memory when it comes to other things. Like most of my childhood, there's like these spotty little memories, but like when it comes to marketing, it just seems like it gets etched in. So probably marketing. As well as the memory. And by the way, I, definitely relate about having a very spotty memory for a lot of things as you say there's a weird selective memory on some of the topics that we love that somehow gets burned in is there anything that you actually use to help you out uh, remembering or saving or kind of bookmarking some ideas especially when you think to marketing I think that's something that we do a lot we gather so much information and it's great but also it's like mm -hmm. how, how is the way that you help your memory to retain some of that information good question I mean I would say that when it comes to you know, upskilling, learning, that sort of thing. Typically I will, in the past, I would try to kind of like save stuff and scroll stuff away for later and be like, oh, I'm going to go back and watch this video or I'm going to go back and read this blog post. And then unless it was immediately like necessary for something I was working on, I would just never end up finding the time. So now what I do is like, I consume a lot, um, like kind of in native platforms. So like I'll go in Twitter and I'll read amazing Twitter threads. And I also tend to remember like kind of the highlight nuggets from those. So that would be my system. Like if it's something I really know that I want to listen to, I'll email it to myself. Like, you know, I'll email myself a podcast I know I want to listen to. And then I'll just keep snoozing it sometimes for weeks and weeks and weeks until the time comes where I actually have some time to actually go through and listen. But yeah, I don't have a great system for that. Like when it comes to ideas for work, I've got a better system. But when it comes to just like things that I want to learn, yeah, I don't have a great system. First of all, you're not the first person I hear that they email things to themselves. And you're not the first person mm -hmm. that says that I'm going to start snoozing it until I can actually get to it. So <laughs> I heard that before. So again, you're not alone. Can you maybe give us a sneak peek on the work ideas? Because I love systems. People know us, our listeners mm -hmm. will know that I love systems. So I'm always like, tell me more. Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've used probably every project management software that there is out there. And over time, I've had complex systems for planning strategy and, and execution. And then I have found now, like I'm, I'm essentially a company of one, which a lot of people don't realize. I had a larger team before I had my son. I ended up making some changes. I've decided I kind of want to stay as a company of one. I work with a series of great contractors. Um, but so what I do to keep myself organized is I've got um, I use Coda, which people might be familiar with. It's very similar to Notion. I like it a little bit better um, for a couple of reasons. But I use Coda and I've got a document where I've got something called the pileup zone. And so if I've got an idea, I drop a note in the pileup zone. And this is good because it gets it off of my head. Like sometimes I'll actually shoot myself an email first because that just seems to be faster. Um, and then I'll move it into the pileup zone. 
But the pileup zone's there so that ideas don't get lost. But oftentimes what I when I go back and I reflect on the ideas that have been put there, whether they're projects I could do or, you know, blog posts to write or content to create, I will see that having slept on it for a few days, it's not a priority anymore, <laughs> which is great because the pileup zone ends up getting emptied often and not a lot gets filtered out of that into actual stuff that we produce. So it's great for capturing ideas quickly but then also good for allowing me to know, okay, they're here. I don't need to start acting on this right away. And sometimes within a few days, you realize this is cool, but it's like totally going to take me off of the more pressing things. And I need to leave that alone. First of all, what a great name. <laughs> I was like, yes, I like a pun or I like a boy play. So that already kind of gave me life. Uh, my, I use Notion instead of Coda for a similar for kind of like a similar vibe and I call it the learning notes and I'm feeling like I definitely need to change that because it doesn't feel cool enough and I like to kind of do like random references so I'm going to work on that but I'm also going to say just to reiterate your words because it's actually I think a learning curve for some people the fact that you actually storing those ideas and you put it in there as you say allows you that cooling off time I call it like the, literally I call it the cooling off time because then within a couple of days, as you say, either you think, well, this is actually something that is just good for me to have read or to know or to have in my little Wikipedia of ideas or kind of cool concept. Or, as you say, I'm going to action it or I'm going to scrap it all together. So I think there's a lot of power in that. So thank you so much for sharing your pile, your pile zone. And thank you also for giving us this amazing name, uh, which I won't forget. <laughs> <laughs> that's not actually my name i think i learned that from todd herman todd herman is a project management dude like really great content he does this system uh, this program called the 90 day year which is all about like how can you get as much done in 90 days as you might get done in a year well it's by having way better systems and doing the right things and so i think he introduced me to that concept I also want to say that this was only like icebreaker question number one. We're going to go past that. So we're doing great. <laughs> I think we're doing awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Kaylin, I'm back. Uh, what is the first job you had and what did you learn from it? Hmm. The very first job I ever had was working at a booth, a tourist booth for a whale watching business. And you know, now that you mentioned, it, I never thought about what I learned from it, but I would say that I learned how to interact with the public, how to, you know, feel comfortable answering their questions, how to promote, um, promote a service. So that would have been, I think I was 14, maybe. And that was my first one. And I also learned that I, uh, I'm at the time, maybe I was 15. I probably wasn't the best employee. I know that some entrepreneurs joke that like, you know, they're unemployable. And I really think that that's true in my case. Like I will work really hard on things that I, that are, that I'm passionate about, but like, you know, sometimes I would show up late. Sometimes I would like, you know, be reading a book, sitting in the back on the wharf when I should have been standing out front trying to engage people. And so I probably in reflection learned that I'm not a great employee. I'm a much better entrepreneur. You know what, I I will always remember my mom saying to me, I'm saying this with love, but I genuinely cannot see you employed by anyone because I kind of <laughs> like to do my thing and sometimes I would really like have to stop myself from maybe doing implementation or trying something new or going off a task once I've done mine because I'm like, I'm bored now. 
what am I going to do next? So my mom was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I just I just cannot see you doing something for something else because you're going to keep having ideas. I was like, thanks, mother. So yeah. <laughs> again, it's true. I think now at least as an entrepreneur, having done a number of businesses, like I would have a lot more compassion and empathy for how hard it is to be a business owner. So I feel like I'd probably do a better job now than I did then. But I feel like this is something that a lot of people, if you've never worked for yourself, it's so funny. My husband's got his own business too. And like people just have such crazy expectations from small businesses and they can be so easily dissatisfied. And once you've been a business owner, I think you have a lot more patience and empathy for small business owners because you've been there and you know how challenging it is. So, you know, in to go back on that, I think I'd probably, if I was working at a whale watching booth today, I might be their all-star employee, but back then, not so much. You know, you said something there also very important. It kind of goes back to the main topic of today. And what I realized is that I became a better customer as well by being a business owner, because if something doesn't work, like, first of all, I will actually tell people, whereas before, I don't know why, like, I'm Italian, but a British thing will kick in me of, like, I don't want to bother anyone. I'm not going to tell them that this is actually not working. Whereas right now, if there's something that doesn't work, instead of obviously being, like, the the stereotypical, like, angry, upset customer, I tell them, but also trying to give the business some feedback, especially smaller businesses that I support or I buy from. I'm like, listen, this thing is not working. I wanted to know. Like this, you know, like, oh, this has been a bit funny or this is like could be done differently just because, again, as a, as a customer, obviously has affected my experience. And I found that I do it from a place of knowing that if I were in their place, I would want to know instead of just being mm-hmm. like, you know, completely ignoring it or just getting upset and just mm-hmm. cancelling or whatever. Even if I end up cancelling, if I can and if I think that the business actually has got legs, then I want to help them. And I think that has happened with me being a business owner. I've become a lot more. Uh, empathetic as a customer as well I don't know if you've seen that as well or if it's just again me yeah I'd say that I I echo that I feel like that's probably true now that you say it one more question again as as an icebreaker as a school we encourage people to market to hearts not to brains so what that means is Mm -hmm. purpose so what we like to ask our guest is what does making a positive impact on your audience or customers mean to you specifically Caitlin and why I think that because my background is in marketing, but also I've been an entrepreneur for so long, it's gonna it's going on 12, almost 13 years now. I understand that without effective marketing, businesses won't grow. Like there's it's it's and it's hard. And there's so many different ways. Marketing is such a massive, massive concept. And there's a lot of different ways to do it and get it right. And there's a lot of ways to try things and kind of like run against the wall and things don't work. So I guess what I would say is the people I'm most excited about helping, while my primary target are marketers, like I work with typically, you know, the people that I'm intentional about attracting, they tend to be marketers, many of whom are running their own business. So they are either freelancers or they have agencies um, or in-house marketers and the kind of club, the common thing there is that they work with high growth companies that sell a lot on online, like uh, tech companies, you know, direct to consumer companies or information companies. But ultimately, what I want is for the marketing to be effective so the entrepreneurs can sleep at night, because I know how hard it is as an entrepreneur to put everything into something and to have your product just not get the attention it deserves because it's not been marketed effectively. And so what's cool about getting to work with 
um, what I call marketers for hire, like freelancers or agency owners, is that they get to take advantage of it from both perspectives. They get to make their own businesses better and they get to help their clients make their businesses better too. So I'd say that's my purpose. It's like I've been in the position where something hasn't worked and it's so, so, so painful. And if I can help teams to have fewer of those sleepless nights, then I'm going to be a happy person. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think I resonate a lot with what you said as well as a marketer by trade myself and having had a couple of businesses myself and then wanting to start the school because I wanted to help younger marketers, or as you said, also some business owners that wanted to get their marketing better, but add that purpose mm-hmm. within it. And I realized that I couldn't find anywhere else that would actually give them that support. And I enjoy doing what I do. But I also, as you said, you can see from the other side, I'm actually going to ask you a question. I'm a self-thought marketer as well. So I've been doing this for 13 years, but completely self-thought. And that's kind of sometimes people find it ironic that I started a school. Um, But, you know, obviously with the experience and the other training that I've done. But what about yourself? I'm curious. Is it actually has always been your path when it comes to the marketing side or has it been more coming back aside from obviously real world? Or was it more because of being an entrepreneur as well that you got more and more passionate about this and also biopsychology specifically? Because I know it's one of the big things that you talk about and you explore. Yeah. So, I mean, not at all. Like, uh, I'm, I'm also a self-taught marketer for largely. Um, I have an English degree which is, you know, seemed pretty useless at the time. Now I recognize that it was great to be able to cultivate those writing skills. So, so much of marketing is writing. Although the way that they teach you an English degree uh, in English, like in a university is not really that effective. It's all about like reaching minimum word counts when in the real world, you want to say things in as few words as possible. <laughs> but so I do, I, you know, I, re- I reflect back and that was a positive thing. But after that, I had no idea what to do next. And I thought business was boring. I didn't see myself as a business person. I assumed it was all spreadsheets and suits and numbers. And so I took some time off and ended up working at a restaurant, which was owned by a woman not much older than me, who was amazing and a good, like, you know, looking back, probably more of a mentor than I'd realized. But she had, she noticed that I was great with customers and she'd read some of my writing online. And she said, you know, you're great with people. You're a good writer. Have you ever considered PR? And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And so I discovered, you know, PR, it sounded really cool. I ended up applying to start a kind of like one year PR program. And then going into that program, uh, discovered that a lot of people who kind of study PR actually end up what my professor said at the time, moving to the dark side and working in marketing. And I fell in love with marketing. And I dreamed about working in an advertising agency. And I got my chance after I graduated. And so I didn't study marketing. I studied uh, PR and communications, but then it became really clear to me that marketing was the passion. So I don't, there's lots of things that probably somebody with a traditional marketing um, education would have learned that I didn't learn and had to either discover by accident or self-teach. And then there's probably some that I've never learned and I'm still doing okay. So and what about the, again, going deeper into understanding customer like psychology and biopsychology and also their behavior because obviously that was the next step and that's a lot of the content that you share but also a lot of the things that you explore which I absolutely love because to me marketing is psychology anyway it's just understanding humans but Mm -hmm. what what about it kind of caught your eye and got your interest in exploring more and learning more about it it kind of became it came out of like you know to make a longer story short 
my, you know, I, I eventually started freelancing on, on my own. And then my freelance business became a branding agency. And I was working with clients and I wasn't doing the type of work that I encourage people to do today. You know, like I was sitting back with my clients. And I was asking them questions about their customers and assuming that they knew everything, which oftentimes they knew very little. Um, and then making all these wild assumptions about people based on kind of like demographic information. And then we designed campaigns, we put them up to market and the clients were happy and we looked like superstars and it was great. And this was back in, let's say, like 2010, right? And then after a couple of years, I got bored and I wanted to do something bigger. So I started a restaurant consultancy as part, kind of like as a sister company. And we did all the branding and I brought in other consultants, you know, restaurateurs, um, interior designers, sommeliers, that sort of thing. And we were working specifically with restaurants and helping them to grow. And that company got bought. And then I was like, okay, now what am I going to do? And I thought, how hard is it to start a tech company? It can't be that hard, right? And like, it turns out very, very hard. Um, but so I started my tech company, which was then Vendive. And we did, we kind of went through some of the typical startup training. Your audience might be familiar with this. They might not, but there's this big thing when you're doing a tech company that's called customer discovery, where you go out and you learn from customers and then you use what you learn to design your product, right? To make the right solution. And I did that. And I talked to 300 people before we launched our product. It's what helped me to kind of like figure out how to position the product. It helped me to pivot who we were targeting. And I did it all wrong in retrospect, but I didn't know that at the time. And so we launched a product and we were great at getting attention for it and getting people to use it, but we were terrible at getting them to stick around because the product sucked and it wasn't actually doing the things that they needed it to do. And so, you know, fast forward three years, we raised the venture capital, we pivot the business twice and we run out of steam and it's like, okay, we have to close this company down. And I felt really burned out and really frustrated with the world um, I was broke, but I also had to figure out what to do next. And I had been fortunate enough to make this incredible community and network of people that were also doing startups. And, you know, my lead investor, they almost offered me a job. <laughs> like I, and they brought me in actually to work with a number of their companies. And they said, you were really good at the marketing stuff. We have all these companies who are bad at the product stuff. Maybe you can help them. And so I would sit down with all of these brilliant teams, many of them who are engineering incredible solutions. And I'd ask them the question that we marketers need to know, which is like, you know, tell me about your customers. And it was like gobsmackingly shocking to me how little they knew, right? Like, or how much, how confident they were when in fact they were going after somebody so broad. So like one company said to me, like our ICP or ideal customer profile for people who aren't familiar with that term is businesses that sell to other businesses on the internet with anywhere between 10 and 500 employees. And I was like, what? Like, that's like not an ICP. That's like basically everyone. Another one listed seven different customers that they wanted to target, all of whom looked very, very different from a marketing strategy perspective, like how to reach them would have been completely different. And so I saw this problem and I'd had this problem myself too, because it's like, okay, you want to understand who your customers are, but the methods that I'd learned and that I used in my own company didn't work. And so I started like digging into this problem being like, how, why are so many companies struggling to understand their customers? 
And that journey to wanting to help solve that problem led me to discover an innovation framework known as Jobs to be Done. And we can talk some about that if it if you'd like, but that kind of was a total game changer for me because it changed the way that I thought about, you know, marketing, product design. It completely shifted my way of thinking about customers. And then in the way that my company started to develop, the the addition of the, I'd always been interested in buyer psychology. Or I read, read lots of books when I was running my agency um, about, though I guess would be considered marketing psychology, books like Contagious or Robert Caldini. He's got a number of great books. I'd read a lot of those, but I guess I didn't ever think about whether that was something that I would make as a component of my business. It wasn't really until I discovered jobs to be done that including that piece in my company just made obvious sense to me after the fact. You did make me curious now about jobs to be done. So I will ask you to elaborate because I was like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So jobs to be done is um, for anyone who's unfamiliar with it, I would just tell you to go and Google milkshake marketing and there's a YouTube video. It's about four minutes long. It's a it's around why somebody would buy a milkshake um, and it will blow your mind. It'll, you'll never think about products the same again, especially milkshakes. Um, but at a high level, I won't do as, as good of justice as Clay Christensen does in that video. At a high level, jobs to be done is they call you know they call it a theory for why people buy new products, right? Why would somebody choose something new? And if you can figure that out, that's pretty important from an innovation perspective, right? Pretty important from a sales perspective, but also extremely valuable for marketers like us. So the concept is essentially. When you go to figure out who your customers are and why they would choose your solution, most of us take this view where we want to just learn more and more about the customers, right? We want to know, like, you know, how old are they? Like, where do they live? What, like, do they have degrees? Like, what are their interests? Like, what are their psychographics? All this stuff. And while all of that is very valuable and useful is when it comes to targeting buyers, it doesn't explain why they choose things, right? We don't choose things because we're a 36-year-old woman living in Halifax, driving a Volkswagen who, you know, finds is eco-friendly and has a dog. Like, that's just not why we choose things. And so marketers can use that information, should use that information to be targeted in their approach. But what we really need to know is in what context is our solution the best one, right? What When would somebody have a job that they're trying to get done? that would lead them to hire a solution like ours. And this is some of the language from jobs to be done. And when you understand that, you then see where your solution will help them to get the job done better than anything else out there. And you can also see when there might be common trigger events when somebody begins the buying journey. Because again, as marketers, we struggle because we know we're going after companies or people who look like this, but we can get in front of them and be like, my thing, my thing, my thing. And they will just completely ignore you because they've not experienced a trigger event that has led them to join to begin the buying journey. And then something happens in their life and suddenly they go, oh, now I know that I have a problem. Now I have a job to be done. I'm going to start seeking a solution. So me discovering jobs to be done led me down the path of building the company I build today, teaching people how to understand their customers from this lens. And it also led me to identifying, well, what does my company exist for, right? Like we talk a lot about customer interviews. We train people in customer interviews. We talk a lot about customer research. But that's not the job, right? Like That's not why we exist. Like We exist to help marketers to understand what triggers people to buy 
so they can market smarter. That's like, that's the job we exist for, right? Like that's why we exist. And then that led me to think, okay, we want to start a newsletter. We want to attract the right kind of people. I don't want to write a newsletter about customer research. Who's going to read that? That's boring. Plus the only time they're going to read that is when they're actually in the middle of a customer research project, which is not all the time. So I might get their attention for a couple of weeks, but mostly I'm just going to attract other research nerds. And I don't want to attract other research nerds because they're not going to buy my stuff. So I was like, what, what other ways can people learn about why people buy? And I was like, oh, well, buyer psychology, right? Like that's, that's a huge piece of it. It's more broad than what I teach. Like I teach people how to specifically understand their own customers, their buying journeys, their decision-making process, but on a human level, we buy because of these biases that we have. There's things that shift and move us towards making a purchase. And a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of those. So our newsletter is called Why We Buy. And we dig into concepts like scarcity, which a lot of people are probably familiar with, you know, FOMO, reciprocity, the idea that when we're given something, we feel compelled to give back. There's actually hundreds of these concepts. And so we explain them in the newsletter. And really, it's just a really great way for us to attract the kind of people who are geeky about understanding customers. And those are the kinds of people who are going to enjoy the training we do and want to buy our products. So it's kind of been, if I wouldn't have understood jobs to be done, I don't think we would have created a newsletter like that. We would have probably created a newsletter about customer research. We've been like, oh, we're a research company, right? Like we help people with customer research. So we'll, let's create content that's gonna that's about our expertise. And in hello, team. It's Fab here from Alt Marketing School. I have a question for you right now, and that is, what would happen if you could market to hearts and not brains? What would you think would happen if you knew that you could make the world a better place? with positive impact marketing, but putting purpose and results first. If you want to find out, then come and join us for the all marketing certification. Our six week digital bootcamp for professionals who want to do marketing differently and advance their career along the way. Join me and our six incredible teachers to learn how to advance your career with confidence by applying effective systems and frameworks to the latest trends. The next cohort is coming up soon, so I would love to have you join us. And all you have to do is apply to join at altmarketingschool.com slash learn. Go to altmarketingschool.com slash learn to apply for the next cohort of All Marketing School certification. In fact, that wouldn't have probably been the right approach for us. So that's a long-winded answer, but that's kind of how it happened. That's the best kind of answer because it actually gives us the context that we need to make that that separation. And I think that's what gets into a deeper degree of understanding marketing from a, on a human level is, again, a lot of the marketing that I see and one of the reasons why we teach what we teach is because the marketing that I see is talking to the conscious self or is giving us the things that we want to say. And when I started looking at, obviously, purpose is a big thing for us and positive impact. But then I was like, okay, let's also align it with better marketing in general. Marketing should be human. And as such, mm -hmm. the subconscious element, and this is why I love your newsletter, second shout out to the newsletter, so definitely go and subscribe, is because it, it then gives us the little things that, as you said, and now I can see it from your strategic thinking, the little nuggets of understanding so that we can start seeing these subconscious decisions with a more, um, 
with a more conscious light, but also with a more kind of rational light. Plus, on top of it, just to give another little shout out, I love also there are some examples of how brands do that. And I think it's a great reminder because I know a lot of us can get stuck into as a marketer or even if you're marketing your own expertise as an expert, you talk about what you know best and that is great. But sometimes we forget where is our audience at or where is their level of knowledge or understanding or, or as you say, the trigger event is a big one. And I think that's also what sometimes we forget from mm-hmm. marketing funnels, if I have to be honest. We look at the funnels and I'm like, the journey is great, mm-hmm. but why can we not think about how do the journeys start? For our audience you know like what is really giving them that that wanting more mm-hmm. it's not just seeing your content all the time there has to be as you say a trigger event that that really gets us there so i really love that and i think it gives us an understanding even if you're not as familiar as the two of us maybe with the concepts totally yeah totally now you talked about some of the biases that you cover and i think some of us already know them and you actually talked about reciprocity which is a, a good one but i wanted to ask you is there one cognitive bias that you either written in the newsletter or you talk about, even whether it's on Twitter or anywhere else, that you actually found a lot of people were surprised about or they actually kind of, you know, they give a lot of responses or they were really interested in because I find that there are some that I think some people either resonate with or actually realize uh, more than others. So I would love to hear one or two examples of some of the ones that really stand out for you. Sure. I think what makes people like the newsletter is that when they read about one of these things, even if they've never heard of it before, so it's brand new, they can go, oh, I do that, right? Like that totally explains, I I know that that's true because I do that. And so an example is actually a a newsletter we did last week. um, And it was one that we co-collaborated on with Phil Agnew, who's the host of the Nudge podcast, which is a really great podcast again, about buyer psychology. But the topic was the pratfall effect, which is this idea that we actually tend to prefer imperfect things. Like when it comes to brands or people, like somebody's actually more likable if they spill coffee on themselves in a job interview than if the interview goes perfectly. And that surprises people because they, you know, a lot of us are perfectionists. We're so afraid of putting something out there into the world that isn't perfect. But the reality is that, Small imperfections actually make us more human and humans like to buy from humans, whether that be a, you know, a service provider that they're hiring or a brand that is run by humans. So um, Phil has some great research. He talks about how they did a study with people. They showed them two different uh, cookies. One was this perfectly round cookie that looked like, you know, would be perfect every single time. And one was this cookie that looked a little bit more homemade, kind of like rougher edges. And people by, you know, a huge margin preferred the imperfect cookie because it seemed like it was more real. People probably don't realize this, but when you go to buy uh, chicken nuggets from McDonald's, there's actually, I think, five different shapes that they come in. You just think, oh, here's a piece of chicken. You probably wouldn't notice that there's actually five specific ch- shapes. And the reason why McDonald's does that as opposed to just having the one nugget shape is that if they were all the same, it would make you go, hmm, right? Like, what's going on here? Like, these seem so perfect. They mustn't be like, you know, the, they mustn't be made with real food. Like, they're very processed. But because they're di- slightly different shapes, people don't notice that. They just think, oh, these, you know, they seem a little bit more real than if they were all perfect. So the pratfall effect is an interesting one. People, they get it once they hear it, um, but it's surprising and it also is liberating 
because it gives you license to go, oh, there was a typo in that headline. That's okay, right? Like I can live with that. Like, oh, you know, I made this small mistake during this podcast interview. That's okay. Nobody's going to, it's not the end of the world. So that one's a good one. Um, what would be another one people are surprised by when they hear it, but then they they get it. Another one, which is comes back to kind of like what you were talking about earlier, is what's called the curse of knowledge. And maybe you go, you chat about this with your students, but this idea that like, once we know something, we forget what it's like not to know it. And we kind of just assume that other people know it too. And so especially as an expert and a trainer like you and I are, like, you'll often want to like teach people the most cutting edge stuff because you're like, this is stuff that like I would find really fascinating because like I never knew this. But your people might be at the very beginning and the stuff that you learned 10 years ago is mind blowing to them. And so I think that as um, as experts, we often need to kind of take ourselves out of our own head and place ourselves in the head of the people that we're trying to influence or trying to inspire and think, where are they in the journey? Because like, I'm obviously way ahead of them. Otherwise they probably wouldn't be looking to me for advice. <laughs> so let me go backwards. So the curse of knowledge is another good one where people go, Oh, this is why my message hasn't been clicking with people because I'm selling to people like me. Like I'm speaking to people that have the same knowledge that I do. Whereas the people that I'm actually trying to attract are at a completely different experience level. And so I'm going way over their heads and unintentionally. I love this example because it really resonates with how we build our curriculums as well. We have a couple of advisors, one of which is the lovely Raz, who also did a podcast episode with us. So you might have heard him already, dear listeners. And he's amazing. And he went through, he goes through all our content uh, before obviously we present it to the teachers and we work on it with the students. And he's a great voice of reason when it comes to that. And I think because we launched this school by working on the curriculum first, that really helped me seeing when I was running before I could walk myself. And I think that like, an, int an intentional exercise helped me then when we come to our messaging of our marketing, the content that we put out, it always allowed me to think about the different levels of people that we have in support and how to make sure that nobody will feel excluded. Because as you said, a lot of them we know come from that more mm -hmm. beginning to intermediate level. So I love that you do it as well. And I think it's it's quite intentional. And I know that you probably you think it's normal, but a lot of people say an acronym and they go with it. And you actually mentioned what it was. And mm -hmm. it's more intentional than what we think. It's actually harder than what we think. So it's a, and it's an excellent example because it takes a lot of practice and discipline, especially as an expert who's been doing this for a very long time, to actually catch ourselves with that as well, I find. It is. And especially when you, you know, sometimes you feel like you're among peers. So you start throwing out jargon, all this, like, you know, talking about this and what this, and then you like, you look around, people's eyes are glazing over and you realize, oh shit, like, you know, like I, like, we're not like, they don't, this isn't language that like they're accustomed to. And so I, I always think that regardless of who you're talking with, it's always good to kind of like assume that, People won't ask questions if they don't know. So it's easier to kind of like if to simplify it for them. Right. Like so, you know, for instance, we were out to to dinner with a friend of mine and she's an amazing like she was a she's a venture capitalist. She invested in my previous company and she knows all of the finance terms inside and out. And if she was talking with other VCs, you know, they're just throwing around, you know, EBITDA and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And like as she's saying this, like I can just feel a lot of it's going over my head. I know some of it's going over my husband's head. And so like, I kept kind of like 
pausing and being like, you know, okay, what is that? Or like, okay, so you, do you mean this? And I think she then kind of like caught herself and it was like, yeah, like I, she's using this insider language that if she's talking to people who are finance experts, they're going to be right alongside her. But you're talking to, you know, two creative entrepreneurs. They don't know what the F you're talking about. <laughs> it's time now for our quick fires. So a couple of quick fire questions before we mm -hmm. wrap up. The first one is, again, one of my faves, and maybe there's a couple of tools that I already know you might mention, but let's see. What is an underrated tool that is indispensable for your day-to-day -day work? Hmm. Underrated tool indispensable for my day-to-day -day work. I mean, I, I do a lot of work in Coda. Um, so I, I like Coda, but again, a lot of people are fully embedded with with Notion. They're very similar. If you're just getting started, you know, look at both and decide what works for you. I am obsessed with Canva. I love Canva. Um, I formerly, when my branding agency days, you know, we used the professional software and I didn't ever learn how to use it professionally, but I could make my way around Photoshop and Illustrator and things like that. But like Canva just makes my life so much easier. Um, and one that's not necessarily thought of conventionally as a tool would be review mining. So review mining is something that we teach and it's so, so valuable It's great when you're at the kind of like beginning stages of something and you don't have any of your own customers yet that you can talk to and learn from. Um, although there's lots of ways to find people even in the beginning stages, which I also teach people in another product we have. But review mining is great because you can actually go out and look at online reviews from real buyers. So maybe there's, you know, a similar product that's already on market and there's lots of people who already went on Amazon or maybe you're going to be creating a new course on a topic, you can go and read book reviews from people who read a book on that topic. And when you mine those reviews, you can discover for one, tons of valuable insights like trigger events, you know, what are their selfish desires? What are their jobs that they're trying to get done, their goals, that sort of thing. But you can also learn like what are their potential buying objections when somebody's unhappy? Why are they unhappy? And you can find lots and lots of really great language that you can use in your marketing collateral. So review mining, you don't need any special tool necessarily to do it. There are some tools you can find that if you want to, you, you know, let's say you want to review hundreds of reviews from a product. There's some tools that I teach about that you can kind of like pull all those with a couple of clicks, but like, For the most part, you just need a spreadsheet and an hour and you're just going to go through and you're going to read each one. And some of them are going to be super helpful and others will be like super short and not useful. But you can find so much good, valuable insight. And it's right there. You don't have to ask for anybody's permission. You don't have to like beg your team to let you do research. You can just start mining reviews that are already online, ready for the taking. Excellent. We've got a couple of tools and also a little tool process. I like that. I like that. that that's great. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. Now, a bit more of, um, let's see if we've got a good memory jog in here. What is the last picture that you took on your phone? Hmm. It's probably a picture of my son. I have a 14-month-old. Um, I would guess it's a picture of him, or it could be a picture. I um, take Twitter threads. I, I'm very active on Twitter, and I'll screenshot those, and I'll turn them into a PDF and then upload it on LinkedIn. So there's a possibility <laughs> it was it's a, a screenshot of one of my tweets, which is kind of boring, but it could be that. Then it leads me to the next question. Since we mentioned two social platforms, what is your favorite social media platform at the time, maybe, maybe right now? And why? My favorite personally is Twitter. Like I find that I connect with the made like what I like about Twitter is that Twitter, this is then this is probably true for every type of platform, but like Twitter really rewards the way you think 
Whereas some other platforms, other platforms do, you know, there's lots of really creative TikTokers and, and Instagrammers and, and YouTubers, but like those platforms tend to be more of this multimedia ch- like platform. Some of them really reward kind of aesthetic, like, you know, looking a certain way or presenting yourself a certain way. I like that Twitter rewards the thought. And so, you know, so the, the people that th- like do best on Twitter, they're the people that are really funny or the people that are kind of like coming up with innovative new ideas or the people who are, um, you know, pulling together really great thinkers and share and sharing nuggets of their thoughts. So Twitter would be my personal favorite. I have a pretty low attention span for video. So I watch almost no video content, which shocks people because like most people spend like so much time on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and I spend like none, but I'm just a weirdo. Everybody's different though. Everybody's, Everybody's different. different, right? You know what I mean? And everybody, I think they we consume content in different ways as well. And sometimes we forget that. So what do you remember the last person actually that you followed then on Twitter talking about people that are really unique and people mm-hmm. that like jump out? If not one of the latest people. I'm going to forget his how to spell his last name, but I just started following this guy, Teddy Medenzes, I think. And his slant is he's very focused on leadership and actually no, like probably more recent would be Dave Klein, who's also like an amazing, great at Twitter. Um, also, you know, building a big business off of the back of Twitter and LinkedIn, but he focuses on managing people. And I can say that I'm not, I'm quite admittedly not the best people manager. And I've been fortunate to have a really talented people work with me who don't require a lot of management. <laughs> but it's not a strength of mine. So it's something that as I look at continuing to grow the business, even though I don't want to add employees, I want to grow my network of awesome contractors and I need to get better at at working with them. And Dave's stuff is really good. So check out Dave Klein. Second shout out to Dave is a fellow instructor as myself while I'm at school. So I know, I know him quite well by now. He's, he's great. He's awesome. Also like, literally, he's amazing. So yeah, great. It's definitely a good recommendation to follow anywhere. So shout out to Dave. Uh, and finally, last quick fire question, the hardest. If you could broadcast one message onto everybody's phones, what would it be, Caitlin? Everybody. So that's like, that is it. Like to, I think that if the... You know, if I'm if I have the opportunity to say one thing to everybody, it's going to be something along the lines of like be curious. Because I think that at a very if you're thinking about it as a global society, I think a lot of our problems stem from people who are rigid in their thinking. They either think this is the way things have always been, or, you know, of course the way that this is being done is fine. Like why do it a different way? And I think that if you take a mindset of curiosity, not only will that help you in business, because you'll want to learn more about your customers, and you'll be curious what your competitors are doing, and where that like, you know, what where their um, insights are coming from. But I think as people, if we it would lead us to give people a second chance to make, you know, to try not to be so, so quick to jump to conclusions around other people, um, or around topics and concepts. So I would say if I could say something to everyone that I think would be a net positive globally, it would probably be to be curious. Love that. Kaylin, thank you so much again for joining us. Like curiosity is one of my favorite skills to cultivate. So I'm all with you on that. And people are curious Mm -hmm. enough to learn more about you. Tell us where they should go. 
they should definitely, you know, Twitter's the place I'm the most active. So you can check me out there. I'm at Kate Bohr. So K-A-T-E. B-O-U-R. Um, and if you're not big on Twitter, definitely jump on our newsletter. Um, it's called Why We Buy. You can find it on our website, which is customercamp.co, not .com. And you'll see um, plenty of places you can sign up for the newsletter on the website. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spend the love on Instagram at Alt Marketing School. Until next time.